So five years ago, I think, somewhere right in there, my family and myself, we headed into Grant's Pass. It was right around Christmas. And we were going to get our Christmas picture taken. Men, do you love that? Is that like your high point of the holidays? So we're doing that. I'm in town. Uh, it's cold. I kind of was out in front of my family a little bit, protecting them, leading edge. When this young man came over to me, he's like, hey, dude, what's up? I said, I don't know, not much. He's like, uh, do you have like a dollar fifty? Because I need a beer. So I said, no, I don't have a dollar fifty. He's like, well, how about a dollar thirty-two? I think Safeway's having a sale on beer right now. I think you need a beer for a dollar thirty-two. Do you have a dollar thirty-two for a beer? I said, bro, I'm not giving you money for beer. So he goes, Would you pray for me then? Would you pray to my Savior Jesus that he would free me from alcoholism? I believe I can be set free. I looked at him. I said, no. And about that time, my family had caught up with me. And so he looks over at my kids. He's like, would one of you pray for me? Please pray for me. I need to be prayed for. And my oldest daughter, who's super kind and compassionate, has a big heart. She starts to kind of walk forward. So he sees that. He starts to walk over toward my daughter. So I followed him very closely. What's up, dude? Don't make me sin here. So he gets, and he puts out his hands. And so my daughter like puts out her hands and then he like doesn't let her pray for him, raises her hands to the sky and starts like kind of dancing. And my daughter's like looking at me. I'm like, yeah. So uh, he started then shouting, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And jumping up and down, let go of my daughter's hands, started leaping, shouting, praise the Lord. And then just took off running down the road, screaming, praise the Lord. Now, if he is a believer... I hope he goes to River Valley. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. He would be so welcome at Parkway as well. <laughs> all right, so I shared that story about five years ago. I got all kinds of feedback. You should have prayed for that dude. Why didn't you pray for that guy? You should have prayed for him. So it brings up this question, how do you know? How do you know who to pray for? Broader, like, should you give money to every single homeless person that asks you? No. Should you ever give money to a homeless person? Maybe. But how do you know? How do you know which homeless guy to give to and which one not to give to? Like, was this guy asking me to pray for him because he genuinely wanted to be prayed for? Or was it what I felt like he was trying to manipulate me and I'm not gonna waste something as important as prayer to make a guy manipulate me? Like, maybe I was wrong, but I don't know. In that moment, I felt like, no. So how do you know, right? How do you know what you're supposed to do? How do you know when God's spirit is guiding you to do something? And how do you know when God's spirit is not guiding you to do something? Isn't that a tough question? It's one I face all the time. So I think we can get some wisdom on that question right here in Acts chapter three. So let's look at this story. Now, Peter and John... They're going to be like Batman and Robin. They're kind of joined in. They're a team and they're going to move through the first part of Acts. Uh, 
They were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And verse 10, they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Brilliant story, huh? Such a great story. Here's my question. How long had that man been set at the gate beautiful to ask for alms? Verse 10 tells us everyone recognized him. Hey, that's the dude that's always at that gate. We're told that every day people laid him there, verse two. We're told he was born lame. Later on in, our, in the book of Acts, we're told he's 40 years old. So they recognize him as the dude that's always at this gate. Every day his bros are setting him at this gate. How long had he been at that gate? Most likely years, years and years which means this, Jesus would have walked by him and not healed him. Which means this, Acts 2.46 tells us day by day, attending the temple together, they broke bread in their homes. Every day the apostles were headed to the temple. It means there was many times before this day that Peter and John had walked right by this man and done nothing. But for some reason, on this day, they don't. For some reason, this was the day God had ordered them to do something. So how? How did they know? I think maybe we get some clues, some wisdom on how to be the kind of people that are able to make the most of moments like this. So I want you to notice four things. Number one, they have a pattern of preparation preparedness. Look at verse one. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Part of the pattern of these guys' life is, hey, we've been working all day. Hey, three o'clock, let's go. And they headed over to the temple to pray. Now, why would they shape their lives like that? Here's what I think. They remembered something. It's Matthew 17 year or two before. There was this dad that brought this boy who was demon possessed. And the disciples had cast out demons before this. But this dad with this demon possessed boy, they try everything they tried before to cast this demon out and they fail. 
And then Jesus shows up and with a word cast this demon out. And so the disciples are like, oh man, that was awkward. I don't really want that to happen again. So they say, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus' answer is, this one doesn't come out, but by prayer. And what he's saying is, in the moment, it's too late. You need a lifestyle that is marked with prayer as a preparation for moments just like this. Now, you better be pre- prepared because you don't know when you're going to need it. And if you haven't been prepared and in the moment, it's too late, right? We're told in the Bible, commanded to be ready. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in you. Live lives of expectant preparation. God, you could use me today. It's huge. Here's my best example. Um, who here knows about or has heard of Drew Bledsoe? He's a little bit older. Uh, I knew him a little bit because he played quarterback at Washington State University when I was going to Oregon State University. And one of my really good friends at Oregon State actually had gone to high school with Drew Bledsoe and was good friends with him. So I'd hear these stories about him and uh, great quarterback, 1993, first round draft pick, plays pros, four-time Pro Bowl. Uh, he is a guy that was throwing like massive 50 passes a game. Like no one was doing it like him, like just a gunslinger. 400, 450 yards a game, uh, pro bowler, all this kind of stuff. Uh, liked him, liked him as a man. And then in 2001, he gets injured. And I thought, oh, they're doomed. Because the backup quarterback was a sixth round draft pick. Do you know what that means? It means this. All the teams have passed over you six times, right? 180 times someone said, Now he ain't taking you. Now he ain't taking you. What does that mean? You're not very good. That's what it means. So 180 times they've overlooked this guy. Now we're not taking you. And then he steps in and lights it up because you know who that backup was? Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady, six round draft pick. I thought they're gonna lose, no way. But here's what we know about Tom Brady. Tom Brady lived preparedness. He just disciplined himself. He didn't sit on the sidelines like, oh man, four-time pro bowler, Bledsoe. 400 yards a game, I'm never getting in. I'm just gonna kick back. Imagine if Brady would have done that. How different would things be today, right? No one would hate the Patriots, number one. (laughs) There's not five Super Bowl rings, but Brady didn't do that. He prepared just every day. It could be today, could be today. And when he got his moment, whoo, he took the world by storm. That's the attitude of the believer. Could be today. I'm gonna be prepared. I'm gonna be prepared because you never know. It might be today with you taking your family for a walk in Grant's Pass, right? There might be a moment. I'll rephrase that. If you talk, take your family downtown in Grant's Pass today, there will be a moment, be prepared. Right? Do we have those kind of patterns in our lives that shape us saying, we want to be ready. Hour of prayer, I want to be ready. That was number one. Number two, they paid attention. Look at verse four. And Peter 
directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Hundreds of times before, Peter and John had walked by this guy so much that now he just become part of the landscape. You know how problems can become that? Where you're so used to just seeing problems that you don't even recognize them anymore. You just, just what? what? That's what happens. They just become part of the landscape. But for some reason, this day, everything changes. Peter stops, whoa, looks at him and something in his heart changed. His heart broke. Maybe it's because of this. It says that he was outside the gate beautiful. Do you know why he was outside the gate beautiful at the temple? Because lame people were not allowed in the temple. You only got through the beautiful gate if you were a beautiful kind of person. The temple didn't allow you if you were any way physically deformed or mentally handicapped, they did not allow you in the temple. You gotta stay outside. So this guy, how many years had he been looking at that temple, wondering, man, I wonder what happens in there. And every day he'd be reminded, yeah, you're not good enough to go in there. You're lame. Maybe it was that that broke Peter's heart. Maybe he finally really saw his legs, saw his deformity. Maybe that broke his heart. Something in this moment causes Peter to pay attention to this man. I think God uses the broken heart of his people to build his kingdom. So often it happens that way. Nehemiah, read that book. He's CEO of Persia. He's got it made. And then he hears from 800 miles away, Jerusalem is in ruins. And the people that live there are being bludgeoned by the surrounding tribes because there's no wall. And his heart breaks. And so he goes back there. And in 52 amazing days, he rebuilds the entire city wall and protects that city. Why? Because his heart was broken. And God does that over and over and over and over. And here's what I love. I love what Luke says. It says he directed his gaze. He made eye contact. Something that had just become landscaping for the first time he looks and he makes eye contact with him. Put yourself in Peter and John's sandals for a second. They're, they're stopping at the beggar on the corner of the street, right? So you are driving from here to Costco after church. You stop at that central point exit. There's always somebody there, isn't there? There's always someone there. So you stop there. Do you make eye contact with that person? You avoid it like the plague, right? You want a, your own sign that just says, I'm ignoring you, don't look at me. Right? Because if you can do that, it's just a bum with a sign. But the moment you make eye contact, now it becomes somebody's son, somebody's daughter. They become a real person. And maybe your heart's broken. And we don't really want our hearts broken. Peter and John stop. They allow their heart to be broken. They look at this man. They paid attention. And how many times has God used it Use the broken heart of a man or a woman to start great things. Gospel rescue mission. I knew Walt Fixo. His heart was broken. He said, I'm going to start this thing. Pregnancy care center in our city. Same thing. A broken heart started that thing. Safe families. National movement. 
taking care of kids. A psychiatrist in Chicago who loves Jesus and loved kids said, we can't do this anymore. We got to change this. His heart was broken over something. I mean, go down the list. And this event right here, it is the event that explodes the church. It's because of this event that the powers of Jerusalem finally take note of this thing and say, uh-oh, and they try to persecute it. They kill Stephen over it. And then out of that, Saul gets saved and he takes the gospel to the world because Peter and John paid attention. Their heart was broken, right? It's amazing. It's convicting to me because I don't always do that. So before I became a pastor, I worked a job, just a four to seven job, seven to four job. It wasn't four to seven, it was seven to four, seven to 11. Seven to four, and uh, because of the work, it was a lot of sit-down time. I would take my lunches, go to Rogue Valley Fitness, work out, and then come back to be like, ah, back, engaged. Um, And I started noticing when I would go work that there was this other guy, I got to know him. His name is Stuart. Stuart cussed like a sailor. (laughs) Stuart also was a lawyer in town, right? And the first time I met Stuart, I had this impression on my heart Share me with him. Invite him to church with you. Share Jesus. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. It's awkward. I just want to work out and I want to go back to my job. No, I'm not going to do it. Please share me with him. No, I'm not going to do it. He's a lawyer. We're going to argue. He'll probably win. I don't like to lose. I'm not doing it. Right? This went on for two months. Just this every time. Like I almost stopped going to the gym because I didn't want to face this thing. I'm like, oh, it'll happen again. So finally, two months into it, I'm on this elliptical, I'm warming up, and then Stuart shows up. Hey, what's up, Matt? Hey, not much, how are you doing? And we're kind of going along. And then he's like, hey, you travel much? I'm like, yeah, I've been to like 30 countries. He's like, you ever been in the Middle East? I'm like, well, I've gone to Israel with the church. Hmm, I think God is saying something here. Matt, you share now or I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Fine, I'll do it, man. (laughs) So I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I've been to Israel with my church. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, man. Oh, man. You're the last person I would imagine is a Christian. I can't believe you're a Christian. Shut up. (laughs) I know I'm disobedient, right? Okay. So... He starts saying this. He's like, hey, uh, two months ago, man, I had this crazy thing happen with my brain where I was blacking out and my wife is saying to me the whole time, we should go to a church and get prayed for. I went, two months ago? (laughs) Two months, oh my goodness. Oh, so bad, right? So then I said, well, I'm going to church this Sunday. Do you want to go with me? He's like, no, I I got this meditation, this medication. I'm doing a lot better now. Oh, so convicting. I shared that with this little Bible study I was doing at the time. And the guys there were like, that was the best message you ever shared. I said, why? Because you're a failure just like us. (laughs) And this is what I told him. I said, no, actually I'm worse. That's why God has me in the ministry. I'm going to keep an eye on you, you disobedient boy right? Like it's convicting. There's these things, if I just pay attention and and obey what I can feel like these guys did, man, incredible things can happen, right? But I didn't. And here's what the Bible says when you don't. 
It's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says we quench his spirit. We quench it. That the fire, the usefulness, the drive, the understanding actually diminishes in my life. But I believe the opposite is just as true. That when we obey and when we are alert and when we're paying attention, what happens is that voice actually becomes stronger and stronger. We, what the Bible says, you start walking in step with God's spirit. You're being led by God's spirit. And I say, that's what I want. Father, forgive me for being disobedient. I want to be in step with you. I want to be someone that's hearing from you and obeys you. That's what these guys do. They pay attention. They pay attention to something that had become landscaping. How many things do we go by in our own lives and we're so used to them because we've seen them a hundred times that we don't even notice them anymore? And they're just a glaring problem. That if maybe if we stop for a moment and thought about it and let our hearts be broken, man, we might, we might see incredible things happen. So number one, they had a pattern. Number two, they paid attention. Number three, notice this. They get practical. It's verse six. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. I love that. I think as believers, we can so often get distracted by what we can't do or what we don't have. So we can look at our world and become overwhelmed with the magnitude of the issues, right? And we can think like, what can I do about that? What can I do about Syrian refugees? What can I do about the Rohingya in Myanmar? What can I do about Jason Folkstadt, the, our, the guy we support in Africa, told me about the biggest refugee camp on earth. It's in Bidi Bidi, northern Uganda, 300,000 people, mostly, mostly South Sudanese, fleeing from rape and plunder and death. And I think, what can I do about that? That's so huge. The opioid crisis in America, what am I gonna do about that? The rise of suicide in our young people. God, what am I gonna do uh, about that? Marriage problems, kids that are being abused, families that are falling apart, school shootings. What am I do about that? Did you know this? Seven of the nine of these young school shooters came from fatherless homes. I think that, that, that is a marker to me. At some point, we'll try to address that. And you can just look at them. They're huge. These are overwhelming issues. And I think, I don't have any gold and silver for that. I can't do anything about that. So I had this talk with this guy, massive talk. And he's, you know, you're the pastor. What are you going to do about all these things? I said, listen, I'm not called to those things. There are people that are called to national problems. And I'm so thankful for them. I'm called to Grants Pass. I'm called to this city I love. And even in Grants Pass, there are massive problems that I just, ah, overwhelmed by them. But I know this. I mean, I have silver and gold for those things, but there are things that I can give. I can do this. I can take into my home one drug baby and his older brother. And we can love them and tickle them and share Jesus with them and laugh with them and get sick with them. Because that little baby is a walking Petri dish. 
He gets the flu, he makes it stronger. And then he says, here's my blessing to you. Hachoo! And I'm like, like, you should study this kid, man. He does something with disease, right? I can do that. And Hunter, his older brother, loves it here. I won't go to church. I won't go to church. Like, here's what Charity and I feel like. Like, you're allowed seven minors in your home if you have two adults. So we have five of our own, and we know we can bring in two more. And we feel like we're kind of in this position because of the people that we know and our connections that we can be this hub. We can bring in these kids and stabilize them and love them and bless them. And then maybe because we're connected to people, then, then God can use us as kind of the hub to send them into another family where they'll be loved and told about Jesus even more. And like, we just had a win with that. So before we had these two, we had Terrain and Arrow. Great kids, so fun. And we had them for a while. And you guys gotta check out this story. I gotta tell you the whole thing. So it's just God, this is what God does. So Dan Vidlack, elder at Edgewater, friend, love him. Dan Vidlack uh, helps train this guy to wrestle in Hawaii. And uh, this guy that wrestles in Hawaii ends up going to school at SOU. And Dan and that family become really tight. Well, they also have a daughter. Daughter goes to school. She becomes an eye doctor. So Dan's like, hey, why don't you come join our practice? Right? So Matt and Maisha Langella, they move from Hawaii. They move to Grants Pass. They come here. She joins in the practice. Great couple. Awesome couple. And then they start coming to Edgewater. They're like, we want to do something. We may not have all this stuff, but we can give something. So they start volunteering in the kids' ministry. On the kids' ministry, they start interacting with Erwin Terrain. And they really like them. And then April of last year, we learned from DHS that, hey, the movement in these two is probably going to be towards adoption because they've been in the system for three years and, and, the, and the parents haven't changed at all. And it's, it's totally sad and it breaks my heart because I w- always want to see reunification. That's my heart. We always talk to the parents of them. Come on, get it together, please, please. We'll help you. We'll walk with you. But drugs, man, it's powerful. So they're just, they're not getting it together. So in April, they said, I think we're going to move that way. And then Matt and Maisha, they hear about that and they go, well, maybe we're called to do that. We're going to pray about that. We're going to open our eyes. We're going to pay attention. We're going to allow this to break our heart. And then they decide, yeah, we want to do that. So in June, Terrain and Arrow go into Matt and Maisha Langella's house. And so they've been with them and still, they were trying to figure out, is this what we're going to do? What we're going to do? So two weeks ago, finally, it was the court appointment. Did they go back to the family? Did we try to reunify the family or is it adoption? And in that meeting, the judge said, no, it's been over three years now. There's been no change in the parents. They're still on drugs. They're still abusing drugs. So we are moving to have Matt and Maisha Langella adopt these kids. My wife went to it and she's just crying with joy. And I'll tell you the best ambassador of Edgewater is my wife. She's so sweet. So she then is talking to the DHS agents, telling them, look at this story. It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus that did this. And then she actually gets the DHS D, that is a tough thing to say. She got these people, <laughs> the, the DHS agents, to be like, this is Jesus. Yeah, Jesus did this. I'm like, yeah, win. Total win. Right? And it's, it's, it's along the line, there's a bunch of people that, hey, we're, we're going to give what we can. A Dan Vidlack, a Matt and Maisha, just give them what they can. And then you have two kids snatched out of something 
and brought into a family. You know, family's messy. I don't care what family it is, but it's this beautiful, incredible thing that God has for them. I love that. Don't be so distracted about, well, I don't know what I can, I don't know. No, what can you give? Not everybody's called the foster care. I get that, totally. But I know this, every single person is called to do something. That God, Ephesians 2.10, has good works that he has prepared in advance for us to walk in if we want to. And when you do, oh, it's so awesome. It's so awesome. Practically ask yourself, hey, I may not have all these abilities, but what do I have? And I wanna, I wanna use it. I wanna use it. And notice, lastly, super important, what they say right here. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Verse 16, Peter's gonna talk and share a message. He's gonna be like, don't look at me. I didn't do this. Jesus healed him. He'll be brought before the high priest. And they'll, and they'll say, what, by what authority did you do this? Jesus did this. And then the high priest will say this to them. You're not allowed to say that name anymore. And Peter just says, Jesus. <laughs> right? It's Jesus. And we gotta be careful because there is a movement right now where those on the outside love the church to do adoption and foster care and drill wells and all this stuff. They love our social justice, but they do not love our savior Jesus. So you can do all this stuff, but just don't talk about Jesus. I've been told that. You can do, you do all these good works, but don't talk about Jesus. It's called the social gospel, by the way. And it was started about a hundred years ago. And you can read the history of it. It's never succeeded. It's never succeeded. Peter and John have no problem talking about Jesus, even though it gets them put in prison. They could care less. Not put us in prison. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus did this. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Put me in prison. I don't care. We gotta be that kind of people, right? And here's why it's so important for you. When you move to social gospel stuff, here's what happens to you. You become very angry with other believers because you begin to believe something. You start finding yourself like, why aren't they doing more? They should be doing this. They should be, why, why aren't you doing foster care? Whatever it is, when I start getting angry at other believers, here's what I know. I've moved to the social gospel because subtly I begin to believe we're gonna save Grants Pass. Listen, there is one savior and his name is not Matt Heverly. It's not even Matt, it's Jesus. And remember that, that, you know, I'm doing this because of Jesus. I'm doing this, Paul would say, it is the love of Christ that compels me, right? I don't do foster care for DHS. I don't do it for the state of Oregon. I do it because Jesus has been so good to me. He's given me so much that I cannot help but give back to him. It's Jesus' name. He's the savior. I just get to join with him. And when I do it for Jesus, man, it's joy. I don't get frustrated with people. I'm like, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for my king who loves me. And it's in his name that I do these things. And Peter and John make that abundantly clear time and time and time again. We're doing this because of Jesus, because of what he's done. That's what keeps us sane. That's what keeps me going no matter what. I'm doing it for Jesus, my king.
Notice what God does with this. Verse 10. They were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Then you can skip down to chapter four, verse four. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. So if you have 5,000 men saved, you probably have 5,000 women as well. So the church went from 3,000 people, this event happens, boom, 10,000 people. And out of this will come the gospel going to the world because Peter and John were prepared, paid attention, super practical, and said, it's Jesus. How simple is that? I love that. Here's what I love the best. Verse eight, chapter three. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the, you know why they put that in there? This is his first time in 40 years he gets to go in. The first thing he does is what? I get to go in there. I finally get to go in the temple. This gate that he'd been set at that reminded him for years and years and years, you are no good, worthless, lame, broken, failure. Not because of Jesus. He gets up and gets inside. How awesome is that? So many people, Christians included, live outside the gate. They live there in condemnation. They live there in guilt. They live there in some kind of failure. Man, I should have shared with that cussing lawyer. It didn't matter why, right? We all live under this. And we get to share this good news. Jesus brings you in. It's nothing you do. He didn't do anything. Jesus brought him in. How good is that news? Somehow the world now has twisted us where we are like afraid to say that to people. Jesus will bring you in. You've been on the outside of God's love. You've been on the outside of God's temple. You keep on feeling like you're a worthless failure. Listen to me. Jesus will bring you in. He will make you whole. You will be in the love of the Father where you want to be. You will leave darkness and disease and disaster and you'll come into light and life and love. Isn't that a good message? Now we're gonna share that. Why are we ashamed? It's a crazy thing to me. It's a crazy thing, but the world has us so wrapped up that like Paul, we need to get back to you. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God into salvation. I'm not ashamed of this. This is good news. You get to come to the table of the king and eat with him. This is good news. And he won't even kick you out. Even if you disobey him and won't share for two months, every Monday through Friday with somebody, he still won't kick you out. That's brilliant. That's the good news we get to share. Do not be ashamed of that. It's in Jesus' name. This man is made whole and brought into the temple. It's in Jesus' name that you are made whole and you're brought into the temple. It's in Jesus' name. That's how. And so Jesus, this day, we come to the table. grateful recipients of your grace and your mercy. Grateful recipients of your love and your kindness. 
grateful recipients of your spirit, that guiding voice, grateful recipients, that even though we are on the outside, we've been brought in because you went on the outside and made a way for us. The veil has been rent. We get to come in. And so I ask this day, Lord, that we would eat and we would drink in remembrance of the work that you've done for us to take lame people for 40 years who yearn to get in that by your grace, you heal us and save us and cleanse us and forgive us and make atonement for us so we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our times of need. Thank you. May we eat and we drink of that. May we be a prepared people for this week. May we pay attention to what's happening. May we allow our hearts to be broken, prayerfully asking what can we do May we be practical knowing what we can do and may we do it for you, our King. We ask this in your name, amen.